Colleagues, welcome back to the office. We're going to get started with our presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I have a couple of brief announcements to share with you. First, if you're watching our course live, please note that we'll confirm your engagement through polling questions uh, that you can respond to. Polling questions will occur about every 12 to 20 minutes, and please keep an eye out for them because they might not be announced. If you're watching after the fact, it's a self-study course. You will confirm your participation and engagement with our course today through a brief quiz that you'll complete on cpetoday.com after watching or listening to our presentation today. Your completion certificate will be sent to you by email. As long as you respond to 75% of the polling questions, if you're watching live, you will receive full credit for today's course. If you're watching after the fact as a self-study course, please note your certificate will be available to you immediately after passing the course quiz. We'd love to know what you think of our content and of our presentation today. If you wouldn't mind completing our course evaluation to provide your thoughts and feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your feedback is used to help produce better and more insightful courses for you to consume in the future. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. If you're watching live, feel free to use the chat dialog box to ask your questions to the presenter. And if you're watching after the fact, you can send us an email at support at cpetoday.com and we'll follow up with you as quickly as we possibly can. As a reminder, the CPE Today podcast is available as a joint effort between CPE Today and K2. Twice a week, we're bringing you the latest and greatest in technology, accounting, business knowledge, and more. You can watch for free on cpetoday.com, YouTube, or Facebook. If you can't make the live presentation, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and listen to the show on your own time. All of our podcasts are eligible for CPE credit. After watching or listening, you just head over to cpetoday.com. You complete a short five-question quiz, and you'll earn a credit for watching or listening. Now, if you've never tried one of our classes before, how about you try one on us risk-free? You can use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make any podcast course of your choosing 100% free. We're going to get started here with our presentation. And again, thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. This is Excel Essentials for Staff Accountants. My name is Steve Yoss. Again, it is a pleasure being with you in our class. Uh, today's class is going to be looking at everything I think you need to know as a staff accountant to be effective and uh, useful and productive inside of your organization. Uh, Excel is one of those things. It is the Swiss Army knife of business. Uh, it's one of my favorite metaphors to use when discussing this application because it really can be and serve so many different incredible purposes for your organization. Everything from producing financial statements and doing detailed analysis to just being something thing for scratch work and figuring out and just doing a quick and dirty, uh, you know, um, analysis to figure out the, you know, profitability or figuring out what, uh, inventory, you know, you should purchase or carry in the coming year and more. And it's a tool that many of us have already have some experience and familiarity with, but rarely are we specifically trained on how to use this tool effectively. Uh, and so we kind of, you know, just kind of learn on the job and most of us pick up things from other people. Um, but, we don't ever kind of learn what those essentials might be, you know, and what, what we could essentially do uh, inside of this application at a ground level to really kind of be effective and powerful in this application. And what this uh, class is aimed at is really kind of aimed at providing that deep level of foundational skill within the context of using Excel uh, to give you the, uh, the, um, 
the insight and the uh, the skills necessary to not only just be able to use this application, but to really use it effectively. So in today's class, which is broken up into five different chapters, uh, we're going to be looking at you know, these fundamental principles and how we can leverage and use Excel effectively. Uh, we're going to start off first with discussing and designing our spreadsheets and what those might be. Uh, in here, we're going to talk about, uh, for example, creating navigation, creating hyperlinks, utilizing templates inside of Excel. Uh, from there, we're going to move on and take a look at formatting. And formatting, while that might seem like a really simple thing, unfortunately, a lot of people get formatting wrong, and they also spend an inordinate amount of time doing formatting inside of their work. Workbooks, And so my intention here is to really kind of give you and pull back the lens a little bit on some of the tips and tricks that make formatting actually quite simple and a breeze inside of Excel. Um, I see accountants for the most part spending way too much time formatting their workbooks, uh, when in reality it's actually quite simple, especially if we use some of the built-in features and functions like styles, uh, whether it be pivot table styles, table styles, and more. Uh, we can do those uh, with one click rather than you know combining several different formatting options together to get the same effect. And so we'll talk a little bit about how you can leverage using uh, your uh, formatting. Now, formatting is beyond just the you know the the colors and the underlines with respect to cells. There's actually some other useful things to know here. You know, including how zeros are displayed, how dates are displayed, creating custom number formats. Uh, and more. So there's actually quite a lot within formatting. And uh, out of all the chapters, I, this is usually the one people walk away from with some pretty good insight, you know, on things that they didn't know that could really help them on a day to day, especially as it relates to kind of producing gap related financial statements. Now, before we get going, I got a couple of housekeeping announcements, and then we are going to go ahead and get started here. Again, my name is Steve Yoss. I am an instructor and presenter with K2. I've been a, an instructor with K2 now for many years. Uh, many of you, I've had in classes before and if you're a returning uh, student thank you so much for coming it's always a pleasure to have uh, you in our classes and if you're a new student thank you i appreciate you coming to check me out and coming to check out uh, what i have to teach here uh, in my life my experience is split right down the middle half my life is spent writing and teaching and thinking about technology uh, i write anywhere from about 20 to 50 courses per year uh, on excel power bi databases security fraud accounting audit you name it and the other half of my life is spent doing software development in my business, Devmatics. Um, my business, we build all different types of applications with our American-based uh, uh, engineering team. We build mobile apps. We build integrations between different tools. We build custom databases and more. If anybody has any questions on tech, by all means, please consider me a resource. You can always reach out, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or at least at the very, mo very minimum try to point you in the right direction. All right, folks, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. And the rest of our class today will be entirely inside of Excel. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and pick up and continue our discussion around formatting and some of the cool things that we can do to make our formatting more effective and efficient with respect to our workbooks. Uh, a question did pop up here with uh, someone asking me, uh, hey, can you show me that macro you were talking about where you could get that center cross selection uh, without having to go through the uh, the whole rigmarole of uh, going into the formatting options here? And again, to, to remind you what that center cross selection does is it takes something and will spread it across whatever selection you have selected. Now, Microsoft, in their infinite wisdom, they've got uh, 
quick access uh, links to pretty much everything in the application. But for one reason or the other, if you come over here to your alignment options, you will not see center across selection. Nor if you go into creating your links inside of your quick access toolbar, if you were to customize your ribbon, likewise, you will not see an option anywhere in here for center across selection. For whatever reason, that's not presented. All right, so let me go ahead and show you a quick method where you could record a macro. And what a macro does in a nutshell is it just remembers what you've done and then plays it back in the exact order that uh, you recorded it. Okay. So in this particular example, what I would tell you is that you want to have a clean example of what you want the macro to do. You want to have done some prep work, get the data arranged, get it organized so that when you record it, you do it in as few clicks as you possibly can. Uh, with a macro, it is recording your actions verbatim. And so we're going to end up having to record this macro edit it slightly and then save this in a couple of different ways so that we can either save it and use it in other workbooks for ourselves or we can save it as a uh, macro enabled workbook uh, and share it with other people okay so in this particular example i'm going to center this across this particular selection so i've got my example data selected here and what i'm going to do is i'm going to come over here to my view menu and on the far right hand corner you'll see macros Alternatively, you could have the developer toolbar enabled. And if we enabled the developer toolbar, we'd also have some additional options here where you'll see macros enabled. Either way, go ahead, click the little macros button. And what we're gonna do here is we're gonna go ahead and record a macro uh, for our particular workbook. So we're gonna choose this record macro option. And the second we hit record here, it is going to start uh, recording. And so we're gonna call this one center across selection and the second we click okay it's recording you'll see up here in the upper left hand corner it is now recording so with this cell selected here i'm going to select a range of cells let's say we're going to center it across a through f release right click we're going to go ahead and come into our format cells option from our right click menu we're going to come over here to our alignment work group tab and we're going to go ahead and select for our horizontal alignment center across selection and then we're going to go ahead and hit okay finally we're going to hit stop recording and you're done okay now we're going to go back into our macro section enabled here and you'll see we have now recorded that center across selection macro we're going to go ahead and hit the edit button it's going to come in here and this is going to show us the code uh, of the macro that we have selected Okay. Now you'll notice it picks up not only, you know, the center across selection, you'll see that as an option listed here, but it actually picks up a whole bunch of other stuff that we don't want. Uh, like the wrapping text, auto indentation. Ideally, if I've got those options set already, I don't want this macro to override them. And so we're actually going to make two modifications. We're going to go ahead and remove all of these unnecessary things. And then we're also going to remove this guy up here that says range A through F select, mostly just because we want it to select whatever we've selected here. And if we left that A through F9 selected, it would only work on those designated cells. But here we're just going to end with a macro as simple as this that just basically says, hey, when you got something selected, just go ahead and merge whatever's the leftmost cell across that selection. We're going to go ahead and close this close visual basic and then now we've got that macro selected and if we selected another group of cells here okay and we come back into our macros section and we run that macro it will now run that macro across whatever we selected and whatever the leftmost cell is 
is going to be the thing that's ultimately centered across that particular selection. Okay. Now let me show you how you put that onto your toolbar so you can quickly and easily access that. Okay. What you're going to do here, you've got your quick access toolbar. You're going to go ahead and right click on this. You're going to select customize the quick access toolbar. If from your quick access toolbar, you'll see this option here that says choose commands. We're going to drop down this popular commands and we're going to go ahead and choose macros as our option. And you'll see that that macro we have created is now listed. We can even customize the icon if we wanted to. So maybe we'll give it a little, uh, let's give it a little, uh, uh, let's see what would be a good one. How about the MSN little butterfly looking guy? Okay. We see that now is selected. And if we select our cells and then hit this little button, we'll see that that now executes that macro and centers that across that particular selection. Please let me know if that answers your question. It's a, I wouldn't say this is overly complex. It's definitely a little outside the scope of what I was talking about today, but this is how I create macros for formatting options when there's not a button that will easily select the item that I wanted it to do. And so you could record a macro to do these complicated actions, then map that macro to your quick access toolbar, and then immediately recall them whenever you need it. Please let me know if that answers your question. Alrighty, so for our next section here, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about our underlines. And I really just kind of want to, again, make it clear that the underlines are also going to be dependent on what number format you have selected. Okay, you're always better off selecting all the cells that you want to apply with the most generalized format you want, and then applying other options presented. Okay, so if you could see over here, we've got some examples of the accounting double underline and then the non-accounting double underline presented, okay? And you'll notice it's kind of a small thing. I'm gonna zoom in super tight here so you could see it, okay? Over here under the double accounting, under the accounting format style and under the non-accounting number style, notice how the accounting format, for example, doesn't hug the data. Over here, this is the actual, um, the general format, and then we've applied the underline and then gone and changed it to the accounting format. But over here, it was the way I mentioned, where you set the number format first and then apply the number underline. If you end up like this, you can end up with a discrepancy on how certain underlines or other visual appearance options are set. Always set your number format first, then come and apply whatever underlines are required, and then it will ensure that they match in terms of visual appearance. Okay, here's another more exaggerated view of this. You can see over here, same type of thing. You end up with a inconsistent with respect to that underlying formats. Okay, you want to apply this. Okay, and then apply whatever number format you want. Okay, that's what you're going to want to do here. I don't know why that's doing that, but it's okay. Okay, so set the number format, then apply the underlying rules accordingly, and that will help with that inconsistency. If you end up with some inconsistencies here, that's when that number format painter would be a pretty good option. Alrighty, let's go ahead and explore that number formats a little bit more, and let's go ahead and talk about other ways that you could potentially leverage number formatting inside of Excel. 
Okay. So uh, what we have here is is some examples of some data. In this particular case, we're displaying really big numbers. Okay. Now, if we look at the purpose of accounting, a major reason is to provide if we're inside it. Ultimately, we're, we're trying to communicate something to our reader here. Okay. And uh, sometimes displaying really big numbers isn't really, really helpful. Let me just ask a Bri question here and, and feel free to think of and, and respond if you'd like. Anybody here, you know, report in thousands, millions, or even billions in your financial statements, okay? If you do, you know, you want to obviously display this information in a way that's easier. You know, if you're replaying, uh, reporting information in the millions here, and, you know, and you're displaying the full number, that can be really difficult. You know, in this case, we could see that 243,585,573, that's a mouthful. It'd be a lot better if it said 243.5, you know, 156.4, okay? Ideally, we'd like to display these in a smaller unit that's easier and more relative and also uh, easier to read than to display the whole number. Certainly, we have no need in 243 million to display 23 cents. That's not of use to anybody. Now, there are lots of ways that you can do this. The, one of the most common methods with this, though, is what people will do is they'll round these numbers or they'll take a number and divide by, in this case, let's say a million to get to that level of specificity that they want. And sometimes even they will do and add the rounding function in front of it. Okay, rounding basically just takes this, if we were to say to round to one decimal or two decimals, we'll appropriately round that number. Okay, so 18,707,000, blah, 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 ends up to 18.7. 5.5 million, blah, 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 ends up to 5.6. This is the most common method that people do this. The biggest method here is, or the biggest issue I should say is, there's a good chance that these numbers are no longer going to tie in the sense that if I were to add and subtract to arrive to net income, the number that I would start and finish with here uh, would not be the same number. And there's a good chance if I were to round and divide by 100,000 here, losing that level of precision could result in the numbers themselves no longer adding up correctly. Um, and that can cause a number of other problems for you as well. Okay. So what I would recommend though, you can actually do this same process of displaying these numbers in millions or billions or thousands or whatever you want. You can actually do with number formatting, okay? And instead of displaying these big old numbers, you can display a number that looks like, like this. And what's really cool about using the number formatting is the number itself remains intact, okay? Now, let me back up. Excel stores two different numbers for every single cell. It displays a number and it uses a number for calculation. So it has one number that it's using for its internal calculation purposes. Okay, but then it can choose to optionally display a different number if need be. And that's where that number formatting kicks in. We can actually override what we call the display mask for that particular number and tell Excel, hey, I know this is 243,585,573.23, but you know what? I don't need you to display that whole number. You know, keep that whole number for calculation purposes, but instead show 243.59, 156.5, okay? And these numbers are actually set in, if you right-click on a cell and select Format Cells, or select a range of cells or an individual cell. And from the home ribbon, under the number formatting, go over to that little arrow that's pointing down there. And if you come over here, 
you'll actually see that in your format cells option, you can choose how a number is displayed. And in fact, if you come down here to custom, you can override how that number should be displayed. And uh, how many of you, for example, have ever gone into this and seen this like custom and you see these kind of weird formatting rules and you're like, what the heck is this? What, what would I possibly need to know here? Well, these are the rules on how Excel should display this number. And there's actually four sets of rules. What to do if the number is positive, what to do if the number is negative, what to do if the number is zero, and what to do if it is text. And these are the formatting rules that Excel will apply to that specific cell. And there's actually a whole bunch of these codes. If we click over here, we can see under our format codes here that we could choose to display this data. So I'm going to grab this one over here for without dollar signs. I'm just going to grab the, uh, the code here and let's come back over here to our actuals worksheet and let's apply that number format to these cells. So I'm going to select these cells and from our home ribbon, we're going to come over here to the number tab and click that little down arrow. And we're going to come over here to custom and where it says general, we're going to go ahead and pull that general out. We're going to plop these this format rule in and notice when I apply that number format here, it actually changes it from 243 such and such to 243.59. Okay. And so there's three, or sorry, four groups here. Okay. And you'll see they're separated by a semicolon and these are how these different rules apply. And so we've got commas, we've got pound signs or hash signs. We've got the, uh, uh, asterisks. These are specific codes. And to answer a question, that I usually get, no, I don't know all of these off the top of my head. I go look them up every time I need them. I just know that this is something that exists. But that first group would tell us, for example, to uh, truncate a certain number of digits from display purposes and display it in this case in, you know, in millions. Essentially, it's rounding those off. And the number of zeros that you see displayed here will increase or decrease that specificity. Uh, you'll see, so we've got the first group that's positive. The second group is negative. You'll see that third group over there. You'll see a double or a, a single quote and then a, a, uh, uh, a dash. Well, that just basically say display the number as a dash, a zero as a dash rather than a zero or empty. And then the last bit with that at sign just says display the text as it is. But if we apply this number, that 243, 585, so on and so forth, those become a lot more readable. And so, uh, this is a great way of being able to display big numbers without losing the specificity and the, uh, the actual underlying numbers themselves for calculation purposes. They will remain in play. Okay. Now that number code also exists in other aspects. Let's go ahead and open up our custom date formats sample file here. And let's talk about another thing that you can do. You can actually do something very similar with your dates. Okay. Now, in my particular recommendation, I personally recommend that in your high value workbook, you actually have a separate worksheet again with your assumptions. And so I'm going to come on over here. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and create an assumptions worksheet. And from this, uh, from this, what we're going to end up doing here is that we are going to leverage uh, creating an assumption, and then I'm going to show you how I would use this. 
So um, let's just say under our assumptions, or it might be called control, we might have like a variable, and we'll just call this report date. Okay, and anywhere that I'm going to use report date headers uh, to my financial statements, note to the financial statements, so on and so forth, rather than specifying that uh, that date everywhere it's used, I'll come on over here and let's just say for for our purposes today, let's make it June 22nd, 22, and I'll just store this date as this. Okay, now anywhere that I've got my report, I can then specify. I can go ahead and I could specify the uh, the date in that particular header. The good news is, is that it kind of goes back into our central assumption here. I'm going to show you this demonstration actually uh, two different ways. Okay. The first, we're going to use our uh, report date on an assumptions tab, and then we're going to use it where it'll actually calculate the report date from the data presented in the report. But let me show you this define names thing. Okay. Now, define names are wonderful because what they allow you to do is they allow you to replace the cellular reference of something from where it's located on your spreadsheet to a friendly name that you can remember. In this case, this report date is in cell B1. And, and the whole point of this is, is that I want to come back to this assumptions tab adjust the date in one location and then have it apply everywhere else. But I might not always remember that, you know what, this is in cell B1. It could be that I just, you know, I'd have to go back and reference it. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if this was like report date and we could just call it report date. And from there, we could go ahead and just remember that, um, that, uh, that variable name is, uh, what that field is called. Okay. And so we can do that. We're going to do that by coming over here in our formula tab. Sorry, not in our formula tab. I'll show you that here in a minute. But on our on our ribbon, like down here in our formula editor, this guy, over here on the far left, you'll see that this cell is called B1. Okay? You can highlight that B1. And you could change this. And so we could go ahead and highlight that B1 here and give it another name. Now, there are some specific rules on how this formula or how these defined names could be. Uh, for example, they can't reference a specific uh, cell. Like you couldn't, for example, have something called tax 2022. Like I couldn't call this cell tax 2022. Why? Because theoretically, if I had a big enough workbook, I'd have a, I could have a column TAX and I could have a row 2022. Uh, so there are some specific rules, but for the most part, it's pretty easy. Just make it an alpha character as your first character and make sure that it's not something that could be misinterpreted as a position in this workbook. So for here, I'm going to go ahead and change this from being cell B1, and we're going to call this report date like that. And you'll notice the second I hit enter here, it is no longer B1. It is now report date. Anywhere else inside this workbook that I want to reference the report date, I can go ahead and do equals report date. And guess what? It knows report date is that particular cell, and it will always bring that value presented. And anywhere I go to write a formula, you'll see instead of, you know, sheet one or assumptions one, cell B1 here, it'll actually say report date. And it makes writing these things a heck of a lot easier and a lot simpler to be able to do. So on my assumption sheet, I will specify my report date. And then let's just say over here, we were going to go ahead and create a header. Well, all my headers are going to be dynamically driven, okay? They're going to be dynamically driven so that I don't run the risk of forgetting to update one obscure report in my financial statement and printing the whole thing only to realize that I didn't advance the, uh, the report by the next period moved on. Uh, by setting these all in that assumptions, I've made it simpler, faster, and easier. I update one place and all of my headers are now correct.
So we're going to come over here to cell, uh, in this case, A5, and we're going to go ahead and just simply write like for the period ended, and then we're going to reference our report date. So we'll do equals. And anytime we're dealing with text inside of Excel, we're going to use that double quotes. Double quotes always holds text inside of Excel. And so we're going to say for the period ending, okay, we're going to put a space because we need a space there. Otherwise, it will put the next value. And if we want to concatenate, concatenate basically means to append uh, a cell with another value. It basically says execute this, then execute this and smash them together into one value. We can do for the period ending and then we'll type out report date here like this. And it will append our text here with that date of that report. And you'll see, sure enough, it popped up and it added that report date. Now, before I continue here, can anybody point out what might be wrong? What seems wrong about my date presented here? Okay, there's something definitely wrong. And uh, it would certainly not be something that I would not want to see presented. Okay, uh, David writes in the format, and you are correct about that. Okay, notice how it's not actually saying June 22nd, but rather it's saying 44,734. Okay, Excel uses what's called the 1900 date system. And with that 1900 date system, what it does is it treats every single day as a integer uh, from 1900 forward. So January 1st, 1900 is one. January 2nd was two, third, so on and so forth. As of January 22nd, 2022, well, guess what? We are 44,734 days after that date, which both seems like a very short period of time and also a very long period of time. I would have expected more than 44,000 days, but think about all the history that's occurred and, and just how brief um, and time period that has occurred in. And so we actually need to tell Excel, hey, you know what? I know you want to display this as an integer, but we actually want to display this as text instead. And so what we're going to end up using is we're going to use the text formula in conjunction with our uh, defined name here. And we're going to tell it, hey, treat this as text and we're going to give it the value and then also the number format that we'd like to treat, treat it as. So we're going to say our text function here, text formula takes two values, two arguments, the value, and then how you'd like to see it presented. And so in this case, our value is the defined name of report date. And then our report text will be the formatting codes. Now, the formatting codes for this are really simple. M for month, D for day, Y for year, H for hour, M for minute, S for second. And you could specify anything you'd like it to be. And uh, you just literally give it an example of what you'd like. So if I want to spell out the full date, June 22nd, 2022, with the full name of the month, the two-digit year, sorry, the two-digit uh, day, and then a four-digit year, it would look something like this. MMMM, four Ms, DD, comma, YYYY, like this. And then that's how you get that to pop up correct, okay? So if your balance sheet income statement, fantastic. You've now created this so it's it's correctly period driven. It's dynamically driven. Okay, the end of the year rolls around. It's 1231 here. We update one place in our Excel workbook with the correct date. And all of our other reports that are, are looking for that date are going to one location. Now, at any point, I can double click this and look how simple this is to audit the purpose of this formula. I could see here, and I'm not trying to guess what the heck was in cell B2. I can see that it's the report date and it's set to the correct period. 
Okay. Now with this, you could set this to be whatever you want in terms of the formatting. If we wanted to do something more abbreviated, we can do MM, DD, YY. Guess what? That turns into a two digit with a slash. We could take out the slashes. We could do a period if we wanted to. It would do it that way. Whatever number format we'd like to see presented, we can do so. The takeaway from this is three things. First, centralization of your assumptions into a separate worksheet so that you can update them in one location. Two, using defined names rather than cellular position makes the auditability of this workbook a lot better because we don't have to um, see the position of where something is, but we can rather just see the name of whatever is presented. Okay, and three is that we are creating this to be... Um, uh, we're using the concatenation where we're creating this to be formula driven and it creates this where we write the text we'd like it to be and then it goes and grabs a dynamic variable. Okay. All righty. Let's go ahead and show you another method that would be quite useful here. And in this particular method, we actually have a rolling report of June, July, and August. And uh, let's say we wanted to create this for the three-month period ended, and then we wanted to look at the data in the report and then pull the report header from that particular data set. We can do that too. That's also quite simple and easier uh, to be able to do as well. Now, the first thing I want to show you is how you put your dates in uh, Excel. And if you see here, June, it's not actually June. You'll see it just says uh, June though listed. But if we click on July or we click on August, we're actually seeing the, the month. We're actually seeing a date in here. But it's showing me the name of that particular month. Well, guess what? This exact method... Okay, this exact method's using the exact same thing. We're using a number format here. Okay, and always inside of Excel, whenever possible, you put you put stuff as a as a value. You don't want to use text unless you absolutely have to. Mostly just because, uh, with respect to um, the data, uh, if you put it as a text, you can't do any formulas. You can't do any calculations on it. So whenever possible, you're dealing with this always include these as numbers as uh, something you can do formula operations on because if you treat it as text you can't do much okay so in this particular example what we want to do is actually change this from saying uh 6 2016 to june july or august what we're going to do simply right click on this Okay, and with respect to this, we're going to go ahead and select Format Cells. Okay, and what we're going to end up doing here is coming down to Custom, and you'll see here under Custom, we can actually specify a specific code that we can choose to use here. And so if we wanted to just display the month and the year, we can just go ahead and do MM and YY like this. Or if we wanted to do uh, the full name of the month, we could do capital M like this, and then maybe YY like this. Or if we did four Ys, we would end up uh, close. I'm sorry, we would end up uh, showing the full month and year, and we'd end up something looking pretty nifty. Now, if we just wanted to show the name of the month, again, we could just put four M's in and we would end up with the name of the month. But the number, the date, is still there for calculation purposes as well.
Okay, so now what we can do is we can now, because we have these as dates that we can actually do calculations on, we can write a dynamic header that will fetch the, let's say for the ending period here, the longest date in this uh, range. And so we'll do something similar. We're gonna go equals. Okay, we're gonna type out for the three months ended. Okay, we'll do another space. So we have a space there, double quotes, and then we're gonna go ahead and point it down here. Okay, and we'll get that same issue. We'll, we'll deal with this with respect to uh, this. Now, the only problem is, is that this assumes the longest date is gonna be whatever is on the right most, which is probably sufficient 99% of the time. We can actually gust this up a little bit further though. We can actually throw in the max function here, point it to this entire range, and then it'll pull whatever the biggest value is. In this case, always coming over here to August. But if we were doing a rolling report where maybe August moves over here and then we got September, so on and so forth, well, we can use that max function. It'll pick whatever the biggest value is. Now we'll throw that with the text function. Okay, and we'll do MMMMMDD like this. And now we've ended with a great report uh, that will always be up to date. Now, if we change this, let's say, uh, let's go to 10, 31, 22. Well, guess what? Our header will update appropriately. So we don't always have to specify the ending here. It can pull whatever the uh, largest value presented might be. Okay, so now that you know a little bit about with respect to your dates, uh, and how you can stylize those. That text function is fabulous because it will uh, always ensure that you are um, uh, getting the exact format and the exact presentation that you'd like it to be. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about zeros. So we're going to open up our zero example here, positive and negative zeros. There we go. And let's go ahead and talk about our zeros here. Now, if you remember, I was telling you, counting format and the number formats in general have lots of different uh, rules and things that you would not necessarily think that they do that uh, and they can have power over your workbook in ways that you didn't necessarily think and another example is how zeros are displayed okay so first and foremost zeros can be displayed three different ways they can be displayed in the accounting format with a little dash which is my preference so it tells me that there is something there but it's zero it could be an empty cell and the issue with that is that you could zero is not an empty value zero is zero so um an empty cell is not preferred because you could very easily overlook the fact that there is a cell value in there. And the third method is that it could, it can actually display as zero and uh, you can actually end up with a positive zero and a negative zero, believe it or not. Okay. Has this ever happened to you? For example, you've got zero here and you'll see sometimes it is displayed as that dash. Sometimes it's displayed as zero and sometimes it's displayed as a negative zero. And you're like, how the heck can you have a negative or a positive zero? Well, first and foremost, it depends on what number format you have presented. And then the second is going to be what precision level you have. 
So in this particular case, we've got, uh, and in fact, if you look at these zeros here, they're not actually fully, fully zero. They're close to zero, but they're not zero exactly. In this case, we've got 0 0.001 and then point negative 001. And as such, if we don't have a lot of precision, if we're choosing to round these numbers, you could end up with, in this case, um, a positive or negative zero. Okay, so you can have three different ways on top of having other number formats inside of Excel that can display zero. Obviously, you want to be consistent with respect to your formatting rules. Okay, so a couple of different ways you can handle this. One such way that you can handle this is to use the round function. Okay, so if we take this round function and we round it to no zeros like this, what do we end up with? We end up with a perfect zero presented. Uh, even over here under our negative, we'll see that that is a perfect zero. Why? Because the round function, it's like a guillotine, just chops off exactly where it's supposed to be. And if this case is zero digits, well, zero digits is what you ask for. Zero digits is what you get. Okay. Uh, adjusting your precision that's displayed as an example here, that's not going to get rid of anything unless you tell it to only display one digit or two digits. If we go ahead, we tilt around to two digits here, even with that round function, you'll see it still pops up as zero because in this case, that third digit is not the, uh, it's the one that's getting rounded off. All right, I'm gonna show you another feature inside of Excel. And this feature should be used very sparingly, but it's a good, if you need it, you need it type of a thing. And it's called set precision as displayed. Now that is gonna be located over here under the file menu. From the file menu, we're gonna go ahead and drop down here to options. And from options, we're gonna go ahead and select advanced. And from advanced, we're gonna go ahead and drop down to our, I always have a hard time finding it right over here, about probably 80% of the way down. And you'll see this work group that says when calculating this workbook and you will see the option set precision as displayed. Okay. Now let me come back to something I was mentioning a minute ago. Remember how I said that Excel actually stores two different values. It has the value for calculation purposes, the thing it does math on, and then it has another one for display purposes and that number formatting is what we're modifying there. When we set a number format, we're telling Excel, hey, you know what? I know you need two numbers here. Change the way this is presented and presented this specified way. We can actually turn that off. And so if we select this option, set precision as displayed, what we do is we tell Excel to only store one number. And for that one number, that's the number that's used for both calculation purposes and display purposes. And if we click this, check out what happens over here. Okay, you're gonna get an error message that'll pop up that'll strike fear in the heart of any accountant. Warning, data will permanently lose accuracy. And what you're doing is you're telling Excel to only store what is currently displayed. And if it's not being displayed, it actually truncates that digit. So if we click okay here, and then we click okay down here, we'll notice that now everything is zero because it's not displaying those digits. Okay. And so in fact, if we took a number like this, okay. And we told it to round it to two digits. If we expand and increase the decimal point, you'll notice those additional digits, the things I added in were wrong. And in fact, you got to be really careful here. Notice this is 9.8, not, uh, uh, not, uh, 10. Okay. If we decrease the amount of precision here, 
Watch what happens. That 9.8 goes to 9.9. And if we continue rounding it down, it goes to 10. And if we increase the specificity, that uh, that data is lost. Okay. I'm going to point out this has no impact on formulas. So if we had a formula over here and we increase or decrease specificity, so if you're storing something with a decimal point, that I'm sorry, with a equal sign in front of it, will not effect impacted it only impacts calculated value or it only impacts provided values not uh, calculated values okay so that uh, that zero that set precision as displayed it's kind of a one-trick pony you need it if you need it if you don't need it uh, you don't need it here's another example over here okay in this particular way we've got uh, two plus two equals five you'll see again a lot of this has to do with the precision of the decimals in this case we've actually got 2.25 2.25 right so two plus two should equal four we can actually make that equal five uh, because again we've got this um, additional data but the additional data is not being displayed if we turn on that set precision is displayed we'll always ensure that we end up with the correct digit presented. Okay, so something to consider. All right, let's go ahead and take a look, talk a little bit about our, uh, our conditional formatting. And I already spent a little bit of time uh, and I mentioned where this was, but let's go ahead and explore this a little bit further because conditional formatting is something I think most of us are at least familiar with a little bit. Uh, but with respect to the way it operates, I think most of us just scratch the surface with respect to how this uh, incredible um, feature is used. Now, conditional formatting can be really, really effective uh, for conveying information almost in like a quasi dashboard. Now, there are a lot of better, better tools to create dashboard reports than Excel. Excel is uh, better than nothing, though, and it's often the tool most of us have at least some familiarity with, and it's a great way to get started. I would tell you that if you're looking to do more dashboard reporting, you should get started with Power BI. Uh, and in fact, leveraging Power BI uh, is great because if you already have some Excel knowledge, walking into Power BI is actually going to be quite simple. It's a it's a very approachable tool. And out of all the business intelligence and reporting platforms that are out there, in my opinion, it's the best for a lot of different reasons. Um, one of the big ones though, I would say is because I'm leveraging already a lot of my knowledge inside of Power uh, BI that I've learned inside of Excel. It's the same, roughly the same thing. And conditional formatting is a, is a great way to get started because guess what? Conditional formatting inside of Excel works the same way in Power BI. Now, conditional formatting is going to live over here under the home ribbon, under our style section, smack dab in the middle here. And let's talk a little bit about some of the really cool stuff that we can leverage with Power BI. Okay. Or, sorry, not with Power BI, but with conditional formatting. So with conditional formatting, you should know that it is a discrete thing, meaning it applies to selected cells. It applies to whatever cells you choose to apply it on. Um, in this particular case, we actually have three different sets of data presented inside of our workbook. Okay, we have our raw data, which is going to be cells uh, B8 through M20. Okay, that's data set one. 
Then we have another set of raw data, or sorry, another set of data, which is going to be column N over here. It's going to be our uh, horizontal totals. And then we have another set over here at the bottom on row 22, which are going to be our vertical totals. Whenever you're applying conditional formatting, you absolutely want to make sure that you apply it to only one data set at a time. The reason being is like if we highlight all of this data and then we come on over here to a conditional formatting and we select, for example, our, uh, our top 10. Well, what's going to end up here if we selected like top 10 as an example, they're always going to be our totals and it's going to end up uh, not being probably what we want it to be. Most of the time we want to apply this just to our raw data, but if you're going to apply it, make sure you're applying it either to your totals or your raw, but not both simultaneously. So I can select this set of data here and I can come over here to my conditional formatting. And from my conditional formatting, let's go ahead and take a look at our top two options here, highlight and then our top and bottom rules. And so let's say I've got all this data and I want to figure out my top and bottom performers. So under my conditional formatting under highlight cell rules, I have access to all of my inequality operators, greater than, less than, between two numbers, equal to. I can look for cells that contain specific values, a date, as well as finding in a non-destructive method, duplicates. And I can remove those duplicates or choose to do something with those duplicates on a case-by-case -case basis. It's a great way of finding those duplicates without automatically removing them. So in our case, let's go ahead and highlight cells and let's go ahead and highlight stuff that is greater than 30,000. Okay. And we can go ahead and choose what appearance we'd like. And we're going to go ahead in this particular case to highlight them in green. Okay. And there we go. We can see our top performers that are listed here. Now we can also apply multiple sets of conditional formatting on the same set of data. So as an example here, maybe we want to find the stuff that is between uh, 20 and 30,000. So we're going to highlight these cells again. We're going to do conditional formatting. We're going to go ahead and select between. And in this particular case, we're going to say between 20,000 and 30,000. And for those, we're going to go ahead and select yellow. And we'll do one last one over here, conditional formatting, highlight cell rules. And we're going to go say less than, and we're going to say less than 10,000, make those red. And so now I've kind of done like a quasi heat map. And in fact, I'll show you a simpler way of doing this here in a moment, but uh, I can essentially stylize these things. And if the value of that cell meets the rule that I set up, well, guess what? It gets styled that particular color. And if a cell gets updated, because we're working with dynamic data here pretty regularly now, folks, well, guess what? If that value gets updated, let's say it goes to uh, 35,000 here. Okay. It will auto apply any changes uh, will auto apply whatever formatting rules that it can do that it comes to. Okay. Now we could also uh, do our top and bottom. We could highlight our top 10 items, our bottom 10 items. We can do top percent, bottom percent, whatever we'd like it to be. Uh, those are pretty easy in terms of being able to specify. And we could say top 10%, 5%, bottom 20%, whatever we would like it to be. Okay. So that is a little bit with respect to the conditional formatting uh, for our standard formatting rules, which are highlight cell rules as well. Okay, I'm going to come back here in a minute and I'll show you one with the duplicate value. But let's go ahead and move on and take a look at some of the other ones listed. And uh, one other one that I use quite often is the heat map or the color scale. So let's do our red, amber, green. 
Okay, same thing here. We're seeing that red, amber, green. And in this case, it's applying to every cell. And the greener it is, the bigger the number. And I'm sorry, actually, this is inverted here. Um, we probably want to select a, let me pick a different one. Okay. Uh, let's go with red, white, and blue. We're right near the 4th of July. Okay, the bluer number is the bigger the number, and the redder the number is the smaller the number. And then some sort of shade of red or blue will show you some granular difference between them. Uh, the white stuff, I think, is probably right about in the medium. Okay, now you can apply and adjust the Kitchener formatting any way you like. If you come into this menu and select Manage Rules, Okay, and we go ahead and we change the scope from the current selection to this worksheet. We'll actually see all the rules in this particular worksheet. We can see how and where this rule applies. And so we can see the scope is from B8 to M20. And if we double click in here, we can go ahead and we can adjust how this rule applies. And so by default, the reddest of red will be our lowest value. Our bluest of blue will be our highest value. And the stuff that's white is in the 50th percentile. I'll point out, you can also change this to being a specific number, a percent, or even some sort of formula operation if you'd like that as well. Okay, now another thing that you could potentially do, and I'm going to go ahead and just highlight, hide these cells here. And let's just come over and look at our totals is that you can also use data bars. Okay. So with data bars, we can select our total row here, conditional formatting data bar. And let's go ahead and drop in a blue bar here. That blue bar will then show you the size of that cell relative to the population. So we can see here how big something is. And let's exaggerate it, make it a little bit bigger. We can see the size of this relative to everything else without actually having to read the numbers. Now, the conditional formatting rules also apply to your sort and filtering as well, okay? And so we could choose to sort our data and filter our data based off of our conditional formatting icons. I'll show you that here in a minute, based off of our cell value and colors as well. And so we can actually put this into a specific sort sequence based off of what colors are presented in this cell as well. I'll show you that here just in a second, but I wanted to pique your interest. So let's clear the conditional formatting um, from here. And uh, I want to show you a quick trick real quick. Notice uh, for our data bar, notice how the bar is in the cell. Personally, I've always found that to be quite obtrusive. You know, often I want to do conditional formatting, like with iconography as an example, but I don't necessarily want it in the cell itself. So like if I clear this, uh, I really would want it actually over here in column O, most of the time, you know, next to the cell, but not in the cell itself. So we can do this actually quite simply. And we're going to go ahead and select conditional formatting, clear rules from the entire sheet and get rid of it. And let's say I wanted to put that data bar next to this. And so I'm going to go ahead and just create a relative lookup just to the adjacent cell. And I'm going to go ahead and grab these and map that value into column O here. And let's go ahead and do our data bar again and put this in play. Now, you might be so inclined to actually take your values and just turn those white. Okay, what's the problem, though? Can anybody see a problem with this particular approach? Well, the problem with this particular approach is that the, the in this case, the cell value, the 405717, even though it's white, it doesn't apply over here to our 128 or 135 or 138 here. It's still present. 
Okay, and because it's still present, it still kind of looks obtrusive. And we still maybe don't want those presented inside of our of our um, data bar. So let me show you another cool thing with respect to number formatting. It's called the hidden format, okay? Now, I showed you already how you can select a cell and then change it from like thousand, you know, the full number to being presented in thousands or millions. You can actually hide text all the way. If you select the cells here, right click and select format cells. If you come on over here to your custom tab and where the format rule is being selected, if you instead replace that with three semicolons, okay? One, two, three. It'll actually drop the value all to, be, to begin with. It's still there, okay? If we double click, we could still see that value as present, but it's actually not displaying anything. And that hidden format will store a value for calculation purposes, but not display anything. And it will completely hide the text or number in a cell. And that's a great way to use in conjunction with conditional formatting, where you maybe want to have that data bar there, but you don't want to have the number behind it. You just want to have it adjacent. Let me show you one last one over here. Uh, we are going to go ahead and now add, and let's do icons. Okay, same thing. We can go ahead and apply those icons. And because we're using that hidden format, when we hide that data, it is not there. It's just going to display the icon in this case. Now we can always come on over here and we can sort and filter. If we sort this, Let's say column O here. I should have put a header in, but oh well. Uh, we could choose to, for example, sort based off of the conditional formatting icon. So if I want to put my green stuff on top, well, guess what? It will sort and put those greens. And we could certainly have multi-levels of sort as well. Okay. So super, super useful. Conditional formatting is a useful tool where you want to create your... Um, specific visual rules and appearance based off of that cell's value. Well, that is the best way of being able to do so. Okay. Let me show you one last thing as it relates to uh, conditional formatting, and that's going to be finding your duplicate values. Okay. Now I could think of five different ways of getting duplicates out of a Excel workbook. Okay. And duplicates, I mean, it can cause real issues, especially as we're talking about with respect to lookups, duplicate values. Ideally, you don't want them there because the lookup's going to get confused. Do you want the first one? Do you want the last one? What if there's more than two? Which one to get? Uh, and then sometimes also for like assurance purposes, like if we're doing a register, uh, check register, we want to double check to maybe see if there are duplicate checks that have been issued. Okay, so duplicates, whether you're doing it just for standard Excel workbook or you're doing it for some sort of assurance, I mean, you're going to want to know if there's if they're there. And so I can think of five different ways of getting duplicates out. Uh, a couple of the major ones. Okay, first you got to determine do you want to do a destructive method or a non-destructive method of removing your duplicates. A destructive method would be coming over here to the data ribbon and selecting this remove duplicates. And let's say we remove our duplicates solely based off of the check number. What this will do is it will remove any duplicates that are found. So in this case, it found three duplicates in 183 unique values state. Depending on my needs, I might not care about our duplicates. I could just dump them if I just want to get a listing. Well, in this case, if I'm trying to you know, audit this checkbook and I want to see if there's any duplicates, if I just straight up remove them, 
I might not know what the correct value is. And I might not uh, be able to determine that because it's a destructive method of removing uh, those checks. Okay, I could use Power Query. That's another method that I could use where I could find those duplicates and remove them as well. I could also come over here. Most people don't know this under our sort and filter options. You'll see there's an advanced menu group. And if we collect this, we can actually uh, tell it to just get our unique records only. And it will only filter down to the unique records, leaving any duplicates. And the last most common method is the other method. We, I could use a macro that would also work really well too. But let's just say I wanted to look over here under my numbers column and I just want to see if there's any duplicate check numbers. And so what I can do is I can select this column here, come on over here to my home ribbon, select conditional formatting from our home ribbon here and then select highlight cell rules and select duplicate values. And if it's a duplicate, we can say, color it light red with dark red text. And in doing so, we can see here, hey, really quickly, there's two check 101s. And in fact, we can go ahead and sort this or filter this to only show us like red cells. And so we can click here. I showed you sort earlier. If we show uh, filter now, we could just filter down to by color. And in this case, it's just going to filter down. We can see there's three check 101s and two checks 196. And we did this in a non-destructive method I would tell you from an assurance perspective, this would probably be where I would go and grab the check register of the cancel checks and then actually go look at check 101. And hopefully it wasn't issued three times, but I want to go see the actual check 101 and what it was written to. And so finding those duplicates using conditional formatting, pretty simple way with respect to, um, with respect to, um, uh, finding those duplicate values without deleting them unnecessarily. This concludes today's presentation. As a reminder, if you're watching or listening to our show on YouTube, Facebook, or elsewhere, you can earn credits by going to cpetoday.com and passing a brief five-question quiz. If you're a new watcher or listener to our show and you'd like to earn a credit, you can do so for free by using coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout. You can make today's class or any other class of your choosing 100% free with this code. Please consider reaching out and connecting with us on social media. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook and more. Feel free to leave us a comment. Also, please consider subscribing to our show wherever you happen to receive your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you back at the office the next time around.